Paying it forward is a concept that means to reward someone's generosity towards you by being kind and benevolent to others. The idea of paying it forward is not to hoard life's blessings for yourself or confine it to a small circle of beneficiaries. Instead, the spirit of paying it forward is to spread goodwill in an effort to bring about positive social change to the masses. In today's conversation, we will explore how today's military women are paying it forward for future generations. Now here's your host, Deborah Harmon Peel. Welcome to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. And I'm your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. In today's episode of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, we will discuss the concept of paying it forward. And we'll examine the real life adaptation of its meaning and of its sentiments. And how today's military women are transforming themselves from their old spirit of military service into new post-military superheroes in their post-military lives as civic and public leaders. Today's special guest is Captain Latina Channer, and I'm looking forward to my conversation with Captain Channer because I plan to give you a bird's eye view into the inspirational work she is doing as an engaged post-military civic leader who is shaping the young and promising lives of future generations. I'm Captain Channer, and I'm glad to be part of the podcast posse here at Women Vets Rock. On the Hill, the podcast. If you're listening to this episode on YouTube, click on the Spotify, Overcast, Apple, or Google Podcast links to subscribe to our show and get notifications of new episodes today. Would you like to be recognized as a podcast conversation starter? Send your suggestions and ideas for upcoming shows to us at info at womenvetsrock.org because we're always elated to hear from our audience and the podcast community. In each episode of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, we examine a public policy bill dedicated to improving the lives of America's military women and military families. Today, I am delighted to announce the recent passing of landmark legislation in support of America's military service women, and it is H.R. Bill 2941, and it is called the Service Women's Health Transition Training Act of 2019. On December 12th, Congresswoman Chrissy Houlihan of Pennsylvania announced the passage of her Service Women's Health Transition Training Act. She introduced this bipartisan legislation in alliance with Representatives Elise Stefanik of New York and Gil Cisneros of California. The bill requires the Defense Department to encourage service women who are separating from military service to participate in the Women's Health Transition Training Program, which is produced by the Department of Veteran Affairs. This program is designed to help women who are transitioning from military service learn more about health care options at the Veterans Administration. Also, to learn more about employment opportunities as well as other services available to help service women achieve successful transitions as they transition back into civilian life. 
Americans recognize the current 116th congressional class as the most diverse class elected to the Congress with the most women in service. We also recognize the 116th Congress for setting records for the highest number of women veterans serving at any one time in the history of the U.S. Congress. So Congresswoman Houlihan says, and I quote, in the military, we promise to leave no one behind, and I will forever continue to honor that promise, end of quote. The Women Veterans Community applauds the outstanding work of Congresswoman Houlihan of Pennsylvania for introducing this bipartisan House Resolution Bill piloting the Service Women's Health Act of 2019. The early success of the Women's Health Program has already established itself as a great resource and another important benefit of today's transitioning military service women. And that's today's Public Policy Watch, and another great example of how today's military women are paying it forward. After this short break, you'll hear an interesting conversation about my exciting post-military work in the Philadelphia School District and around the world. It is our anniversary, and we're celebrating 10 years of paying it forward by engaging and empowering today's women and girls in military families. Have you signed up for the Women Veterans Rock newsletter? We're blogging on families, finances, friends, and all things fresh for women. Go to our website at womenvetsrock.org and subscribe to stay up to date on all things Women Vets Rock and get the next issue delivered directly to your inbox. We welcome today's special guest, Captain Latinia Channer, to this episode of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill. She's a retired U.S. Army veteran with 26 years of distinguished service. Captain Channer is our liaison within the JROTC STEM partnership we have with the school district of Philadelphia. So let's talk a little bit about how you um, made a decision or the opportunity presented itself for you to become an instructor in the JROTC program. I had been praying that God would put me in a position that used me in the areas of my giftings and talents and things like that. Mm -hmm. I was invited to a wedding. Mm -hmm. We went to the wedding and you know, it was a beautiful wedding and everything. And then I see a little guy, a little short guy, you know, bald-headed. I'm looking at him, I'm like, this guy looks familiar. Okay. And um, I, start, I came up to him, and, I, and I, when I got closer, I realized it was my first sergeant from active duty. Oh, my goodness. It's and a small I, world. As a small, I said, what are you doing here? He said, this is my daughter's wedding. <laughs> the world keeps getting smaller. <laughs> Yes, and, and we got a chance to talk and catch up and everything. And he said, you know, I'm with the JROTC program in the Philadelphia region. We don't have any female instructors. Mm -hmm. And he said, we really need you because the, the kids, they, they just kind of don't know how to deal with female cadets mm -hmm. on the whole, you know. And so he said, we really need you in there to, you know, kind of deal with female cadets. So I thought about it. And um and um I prayed and, and I felt peace about leaving mm -hmm. Lehigh County Public Assistance Office. I felt peace about it. 
And so um, that's how I made the decision. So when you made the decision to transfer from Lehigh County to come to the Philadelphia School District as a female instructor at JROTC, how did that change the way in which you began to use your gifts and um, your enthusiasm in working in a different space? Um, it changed the, the audience from clients to cadets. Mm -hmm. It changed it from their parents to the children. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, 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 I'm gifted as a counselor, mm -hmm. that you are. mentor, and things like that, mm -hmm. and, and also as a teacher. So I found that where I could be able to teach the cadets, I wasn't able to teach the parents because they had already developed a lot of issues and things and mm -hmm. ways and things like that. So it mm -hmm. was difficult to try to um, to sway them, to move them, to progress them, mm -hmm. to become self-sufficient because they had already gotten into the rut of not being self-sufficient mm -hmm. and dependent on a system. Mm -hmm. But the children mm -hmm. had not learned anything about self-sufficiency yet. Mm -hmm. So, and, and they weren't aware of, or they didn't have all of the knowledge to understand the system that they were really in. So it's sort of like they were oblivious to what the system was even all about. Sure, sure. So that opened up the way for me to be able, um, you know, to teach them and mentor them and show them a different way of life, mm -hmm. that there is something outside of your five-block radius where you live. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, just give them um, the opportunity to have different experiences. Well, we really love the uh, JROTC program, and um, I'd like for us to talk just a little bit about what it is, because oftentimes when we see students in uniforms, well, first of all, let me just step back a moment. So you made this decision to come work within the school district, to be able to work with children who were open, who were open and teachable minds, mm -hmm. and had the, um, the yeah. spirit to want to learn new things. Yeah. And so when we look at the fact that you are working with children in uniforms, did you feel like you were still working within the military? Uh, well, that was part of my struggle, too, because I was working as a civilian. But I, I always would say, this is not the same. It isn't the same. It's not the same. The work ethic is not the same. The, the, the camaraderie is not the same. There's nothing that was the same about it. And it seemed like it was a harder pull. Mm -hmm. to get things done. Being mission-minded is not the same in civilian life. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a hard transition, but Being I was making it. Being mission-minded is not mm -hmm. the same in civilian life. That's I think right. that that's a very poignant uh, statement because we know that when you're in uniform, it's all about the mission. We got the mission. We have to complete. We have yes. to succeed at the mission. And yes. so when you talk about mission in civilian environment, how is that different? Well, because in, I'm just going to take Department of Public Welfare and use that as an example. You have people who are dependent on food stamps, medical assistance, mm -hmm. and cash assistance mm -hmm. to live. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's life-sustaining. Mm -hmm. So when you have cases and you have those kind of people depending on you doing your job mm -hmm. for them to get what they need to survive. To live. And 5 o'clock comes and you say, oh, 
it's time for me to go home, mm-hmm. that wasn't my, that wasn't the, the take that I had on it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would very often stay. I say, if you have anything that you're pending five o'clock and mm-hmm. it's medical or food, mm-hmm. give it to me. Mm-hmm. So they had to give it to me before they left. And mm-hmm. I stayed until mm-hmm. those things were done. I bet you that comes from a place of your natural skills and ability. And it also comes from a place of your military training, that you have to work on the mission until the job is done. That's it. And so when we look at those skill sets that you transfer from military service into civilian life. Now you're working as an instructor at JROTC. And when I met you, we we deputized you. Um, we called you a cadet mom because mm-hmm. that's the role that we saw that you played. And um, it's just so important for people to understand about what a JROTC program is. Mm-hmm. Because when I became familiar, when I met you, it was when Cap, no, Sergeant Lee from Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King High School had retired. And instead of of just leaving us, he says, you need to contact these folks over at Roxborough High School Academy, Mm -hmm. and they can help you in continuing your interaction with the JROTC program. And I have to say to you that our interaction with JROTC had become more fulfilling and more expansive because of the work and the role that you play there with those children and in a program. So when we look at JROTC, let's just take a moment and have people explain, because it really is very much about um, creating and growing and developing good citizens. Mm -hmm. It is. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, first of all, Sergeant Lee was my partner at Strawberry Mansion. Oh, was he? Okay. He was my partner at Strawberry Mansion, so that's why he probably referred you. But um, JROTC is a program for cadets in the ninth through the 12th grade and its mission is to make young people better citizens that's right and so we rely heavily on the community and organizations in the community that give us the opportunity to get the kids out into that atmosphere Mm -hmm. and involved in those things that make them better citizens good good that's what we do. Good. Well, I, I tell you, I think that um, the work that you do there and you individually and you collectively is really phenomenal. And when we started working with Women Veterans Rock, we realized that we didn't realize at first about these young men and women and young boys and girls, frankly, in uniform in high school. And we would call on them to support us in our work in doing honor guard color guard Mm -hmm. and one year we had them meet us at the high school of the future and we had probably 20 some odd girls come there it was a few guys there too uh, come to do the color guard and I remember these young girls were so smitten with the environment that we had them in, that they were recognizing Martin Luther King. It was a community program. It was a program primarily for all women. It was a female sorority. Mm -hmm. And that's when it hit me when they said, we have never seen so many impressive women in one place. 
and I didn't realize how much we were role modeling for them until I heard them articulate their their um, their interest. And we discovered then that we had a responsibility and an obligation to these young girls, and we made a very intentional decision to embrace them and bring them into our Civic Leadership Institute. So the work that you've been doing has just been phenomenal in getting them ready mm -hmm. to come into a college environment to start officially working and learning with women that are in leadership programs. So talk to me a little bit about your role in grooming these young women. And oh, men. wow. Grooming is a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal because this is Philadelphia, okay? <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sure you mean that the city of brotherly love. It's the city of brotherly love <laughs> and sisterly and affection. <laughs> But the the kids kid, kids are largely a product of their environment. Mm -hmm. Whether they want to be or not mm -hmm. is a different question, mm -hmm. and it, there is a different answer mm -hmm. because they they come with what they know mm -hmm. and what they've seen. But a lot of times, if you've asked them, um, well, well, how do you really want to be? Mm -hmm. It's a different answer from what they've come in with, mm -hmm. you know. And so um, I believe that we are there as senior Army instructors and Army instructors to bridge that gap, mm -hmm. to get them to the person that they want to be, Good. not the person that they have seen others be, mm. You know, so we teach them a lot about themselves. Mm -hmm. We teach them a lot about their personalities, their character, how they individually learn, mm -hmm. and then how to use that to their advantage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we teach them a lot about social skills. We have a military ball that's a formal affair mm -hmm. every year. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they get to dress up. They get a five-course meal at mm -hmm. the Hilton Hotel. Mm -hmm. and, and we teach them table manners and, and how great. to greet people and great. different things like that. And they love it. Yes, great. The boys and the girls. So here we have them in JROTC, which is a program about civic engagement, civic development, and teaching students not necessarily to put on a uniform, yes. but teaching them how to be better citizens. Yes. And what I'm hearing you talk about is you're also teaching them about growing into emerging leaders, mm -hmm. taking a leadership role in the leadership position. And so... You and I came to work together as colleagues in the Women Veterans Civic Leadership Institute, and it was obvious and um, um, very noteworthy about the work that you are doing in growing young leaders. Mm -hmm. So here you've served in a uniform, you have um, retired, you've come back in a quasi-uniform environment where you're doing JROTC. Let's talk a minute. Let's take a minute as we try and pull all of this together to talk about what's, what's on the horizon for Captain Channer. Wow. There's a lot on the horizon. Mm. My husband and I, well, I'm also a minister. My husband is a I pastor. I know that you are. Mm -hmm. And we're building a house in Sierra Leone, West Africa. Wonderful. Where we want to open three churches. Not one, not two, but three, how many? Three churches. Go ahead. Three each, churches. Each of them consisting of a church, a clinic, and a school. Wonderful. So we want the elementary school, the middle school, and a high school. And that's why you have three. That's why we have three. Good. Yeah, so um, that's going well. That is quite impressive. That's that is a well. very ambitious goal. 
Yes, that's good. So, um, so in the development of that, where do you see on the horizon that you guys will be um, setting up shop, taking the key, turnkey operation, and stepping into the work that you want to do in Sierra Leone? Um, well, it's already actually started. Mm-hmm. It's already started. Um, there is one church online right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have the school yet. They have an after-school program, mm-hmm. and they don't have the clinic component as yet. But we're setting those things up. You know, we we send a lot of um, a lot of barrels, a lot of shipments, and things like that back to the school. But mm-hmm. we have that, and then other things are coming online too. We're working on a STEM program in Liberia. Excellent. The STEM program in Liberia for after school because it's STEM is not in Liberia's um, national curriculum at all. So you guys are going to be introducing it. We're going to be intro. Well, it's already introduced. Oh. It's already been introduced. They- well, has it been introduced by your ministry? It's, no, it's been introduced by my ministry and also Yumley Cares Ministry. Mm. Senator Yumley Conga Lawrence um, has a foundation, and she has a school. This so is quite exciting there. news. It is. It's those components and then the agricultural component, mm-hmm. which you know about. Yes. Yes. So um, that is actually um, in its second year now. In the second year, and the objective there is to have the villages, the indigenous villages, um, become more self-sufficient in in providing their own food. This is very impressive work. We oftentimes talk about um, military women and their post-military lives, and you know that in the Civic Leadership Institute, we have focused on civic leadership, business leadership, Mm -hmm. and nonprofit leadership. And to tell you the truth, I think that you have found a very creative way to combine them all. And um, I would say that you have been certainly our first, if not our only, guests in terms of military women who have made a decision to serve and retire from their uh, military services of, of, um, of the United States and then come back out and continue to give not only to the community and to the children, but also make a very ambitious and important decision to give abroad. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I congratulate you on, I applaud you on the work that you're doing. I congratulate you on the work that you have done individually as a woman, as a leader, and as a post-military um, service person. And I think that it is um, just incredible to hear the kinds of goals that you still have on the horizon. And you're absolutely right. There's a whole lot of things going on. And it's important and exciting work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I just thank you for this conversation. And we've been working together for three years. And in this short conversation, look how much more I've learned about the work that you're doing. And I encourage you to keep us in, um, involved, to keep yes. us informed, because it's important for us to let the women, other women mm-hmm. in the military community, the community at large, learn about the magnificent work that women who have served in armed forces and have transitioned into civilian life and have emerged as civilian leaders, the work that they're doing. So we can continue to debunk and uh, dismiss all of these stereotypes that just are not true. So congratulations. We're looking forward to hearing more about that PhD program that you're in. You will. And come (laughs) back so we can celebrate. I I will. Thank you. 
thank you for this conversation. Captain Cherner, it was a pleasure to have you here with us this evening. Thank you for having me. This episode of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill is sponsored in part by New Ranks Media Network, a Women Veterans Rock digital media production uniquely designed for today's military women and military families. We salute, honor, and pay tribute to America's women veterans who have served this country. New Ranks Media Network, it's a new thing, and we stand together amplifying the voices of America's military women and all military families. For more information on how to join this campaign, visit our website at womenvetsrock.org. It has been 100 years of finer womanhood, and military soars at Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated all across America and all around the globe are in formation as they count down to their 2020 centennial celebration in Washington, D.C. Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated was founded on January 16, 1920, on the campus of Howard University. And on January 16, 2020, 100 years later, thousands of Zeta Soars and Zeta Military Soars will convene in our nation's capital. It will be a spirited time of reflection as this Greek letter organization is prepared to kick off their centennial season of celebration. Their 2020 season of celebration will pay tribute to their founders, their journey, and their accomplishment, and it will also pay tribute to their readiness to propel future generations. They will begin the year by honoring the five founders and the vision of those five young and insightful college co-eds. Their founders' vision was to chart a course of action for the 1920s and beyond, to raise the consciousness of their people, and to encourage the highest standards of scholastic achievement while nurturing a strong sense of unity among its members. We must remember that they created a vision that manifested itself in the decade of the 1920s. And it was in a time where prejudice and poverty affected humanity in general and the African-American community in particular. Let's take a brief look back to examine the courage and conviction of the five founding members of Zeta Phi Beta sorority in that tenuous era of the 1920s. In the 1920s, the Klan was very active during this period, and yet the Harlem Renaissance was acknowledged as the first important movement of black artists, first important movement of black writers and black performers in the United States. That very same year, the Volstead Act became effective, launching the start of prohibition, and in Tennessee, they delivered the crucial 36th ratification of the final adoption of the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote in the United States of America. The worst and longest economic recession to hit the United States would then define the end of that decade as the Great Depression. It was in this environment that these five very young and very courageous college co-eds with dignity and determination breathe life into a vision for positive social change for their people. And they breathe life into a vision that has stood the test of time for 100 years. 
Join us in the next episode of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill to learn more about this sorority's steady climb into the national spotlight, where they demonstrate their concern for human conditions, both nationally and internationally. We are examining 100 years of finer womanhood and paying it forward for future generations. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and be notified of upcoming episodes so you can join us in the public square for more stimulating conversations. And there's one last thing before we go. The expression of paying it forward directly describes the beneficiary of a good deed and repaying that act of kindness to someone other than the original giver. Now, this is not new. This is an age-old philosophy that has continued up through the ages, and it has continued up through the ages through women authors, such as Lily Harden Hammond. It is thought that she coined the phrase, paying it forward, in her 1916 book entitled Garden of Delight. Today, we are seeing a surge of women and girls around the globe demonstrating their collective power and their collective purpose, which is dedicated to equality, opportunities for women, and creating an environment conducive for women to have their say in the public square for ourselves and for our posterity. Now, our posterity are the future generations of women and girls who need us, and really, they expect us to pay it forward for them as we step forward together as a collective community of women into the 2020s with purpose and with the power to control our own lives. It is especially true for today's women veterans who have volunteered to serve and protect our freedom, protect our democracy, and protect our equality. And in the words of Melinda Gates, the former general manager of Microsoft and the famous American philanthropist, when we invest in women and girls, we are investing in the people who invest in everyone else. Now, Joe, take us home. Hola, como estas? This is Jay Latrey the audio engineer and music producer for Women Vets Rock on the Hill, the podcast. If you enjoyed the music in today's episode, please feel free to follow me on Instagram at L-A-T-R-E-Y music, where I'm constantly posting new music and upcoming releases for the show. Thank you. Peace, love, nothing but the best. Latre out. <laughs>